The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Hello and welcome to CPR Unplugged. My name is Jess. I am your host for today. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you are doing right now, thanks for joining us. I'm glad you're here. Today, I am joined by CPR's one and only Jeff. He is an IT systems administrator, and I'm really excited to finally get Jeff on the show. Jeff, welcome. Hello. It's nice to be here. So I'm going to lead into this a little differently this time because telehealth, which was previously for some, an unknown system has become a real uh, big thing very quickly as the pandemic has progressed. And I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your role in transitioning a lot of providers to telehealth. Absolutely. Obviously, with the pandemic coming on so suddenly, it was a very dramatic uh, shift for us uh, to pivot quite that quickly. Fortunately, we had already been in the process of uh, trying to get some of those systems in place uh, with some of the hospital partners that we do work with. They have been expressing an interest in increasing those services before the pandemic hit. So we were very fortunate that we were already in the process of laying the groundwork for those systems and had a very basic plan in place uh, to start deploying those. And the timing was very fortunate for us because when the pandemic did hit, we were able to take that plan that we had on paper and sort of hit the ground running and execute it right away. Uh, needless to say, there were quite a few challenges. You know, the connections that folks had at their houses uh, are all different. The resources that they have, their own computers, their phones, trying to get everyone set up on a, a single system, it did have our head spinning pretty heavily. But I think we did an outstanding job, the whole team. I have to say, I'm very proud of us. Compared to some of my other friends and colleagues in the industry who I've spoken with, we have not had the severe um, troubles that a lot of them did because they did not have the groundwork already in place that we did. So we were incredibly fortunate in that regard. Well, I'm glad to hear everything got up and running. And how has it been maintaining that system? Fortunately, very few hiccups. Again, occasionally, you know, we'll have someone who lives in a very rural area whose connection is not the best. And we, you know, have done everything we have been able to do to accommodate them the best way we can by providing them with cellular hotspots. What I, I'm a very hands-on person. So probably the most difficult aspect of it for me was not being able to actually go in person to work on it and having to sometimes troubleshoot with someone who respectfully was a, a novice or perhaps even respectfully a Luddite when it comes to technology and having to handhold them through the whole process kind of in a blind sense. It's kind of like walking uh, in a dark cave that you've never been in before and you don't know, is there a cliff there? Is there some, uh, some object that you're gonna smack your head into that you just can <laughs> see coming? So you kind of go a little cautiously on it, but 
fortunately we, we've made it through every single obstacle for the most part fairly unscathed that's awesome i'm knocking on wood for you right now just to make sure <laughs> <laughs> i'm doing the same uh you know now that i've said that come an hour from now and uh, my phone will be lighting up <laughs> and full disclosure i have had to rely on jeff before and there was a huge sigh of relief upon his entrance into the building. So I'm always, always glad to see Jeff. You are a fountain of knowledge and very, very patient. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Uh, that's what I strive for. I, I figure if I can remain calm at ease, everyone else will hopefully be calm at, at, at ease as well. Amen to that. So this wouldn't be CPR Unplugged if we didn't dive a little bit into your backstory. Everybody's got a story. Everybody comes from somewhere. Are you willing to go there with us today? Share a bit of your origin story with us? I'd be more than happy to. Ask me anything you would like to know. Well, I think I'm going to just leave the floor open for you and let you start wherever feels natural. All right. So as uh, many of my colleagues know, I do have a little bit of a a sense of humor uh, and a little bit of a, a quick tongue. Where that kind of comes from, to kind of understand who I am as a person, you kind of actually have to go back a little ways to my family. I will actually take us back to the 1940s with my maternal grandmother, who was actually my legal guardian for uh, most of my young life. And she kind of started off in a very well-to-do family. Uh, She lived in upstate New York. She was a model. Uh, She actually won several beauty contests. And pretty much she never really had to work for anything. I would not say that she was the character of Rose from Titanic, but the lifestyle was kind of similar um, in her upbringing. Very, you know, basically a socialite for lack of a better description. She uh, began working as a flight attendant. And of course, this is the early days where a flight attendant was there more as a visual representation, you know, something to to be looked at and admired, uh, as well as for service and not so much someone who's just there for safety aspect. When she was uh, in her early 20s, she was engaged to a young man who uh, she referred to as her beau using the uh, parlance of the time. And unfortunately, he was killed in World War II. She being a young uh, lady, Basically, her family told her that, hey, you cannot remain single. You must get married. So she essentially had an arranged marriage to my grandfather, who was her brother's best friend. And honestly, that ended up becoming my grandfather. Uh, My grandfather was a commercial airline pilot for many years. But of course, this means that most of the time he was away from home. They ended up having uh, two children together. First was John, my uncle, and then Jody, my mother, who followed shortly thereafter. Feeling guilty about her life, you know, and not really loving my grandfather, she basically spoiled my uncle. Anything he wanted, he could have. Uh, Again, coming from a very well-to-do family, you know, if he wanted a cookie, he could have it. Never one for anything. My mother she didn't quite get the same amount of attention. And this kind of brings the story up into the late 1970s or so, when they moved to New Hampshire, where I was born. My mother basically kind of took a a really rough turn with her father never being home and a mother who never really 
cared for her. And of course, at that time, drinking was pretty heavily done. So from what I've been told, my mom actually became an alcoholic almost before she was 10. And as you can imagine, that had a pretty profound effect on her. Um, and of course, you know, late 70s, my uncle was pretty heavy into drugs as well. This resulted in my mom becoming a little bit of a tomboy. She never really fit in with the girls. She never wanted to wear dresses. She always wanted to hang out with the guys. When she met my father, my father came from a completely different aspect. Uh, he is a blue collar, redneck, salt of the earth, hardworking, very easygoing type of guy. And of course, he was just doing as, you know, most young 20-year-old kids do. They just kind of wanted to party and have a very basic relationship. Uh, they weren't looking to start a family. But my uh, maternal grandmother, my dad's mom, being a traditional die-in-the-wool Catholic that she was, basically went, nope, the two of you, if you are going to be having a relationship, you must get married. So sort of the second arranged marriage in the family of two people who didn't really want to be together. And of course, that exacerbated the, the situation. So obviously, that's kind of how I came into the world with a grandfather and uh, grandmother who became alcoholics. My grandfather basically didn't want to be married to my grandmother. Uh, he retired from the airline industry early, pretty much started drinking. And my earliest memories of him, he was already a very thin, scrawny guy. Cirrhosis was already starting to take a hold of him. Did not, you know, share the same bedroom as my grandmother and just had a very nasty unhealthy, unhappy, you know, life. He was always miserable and just cranky about everything. So when my mother, you know, and my dad being in the situation that they were, my dad decided that he did not really want to be in the situation. And he basically abandoned my mother and I and ran off to Colorado. Many years later, I would kind of, you know, have a very deep, heartfelt discussion with him about this. And his turn of events was that apparently uh, my maternal grandfather had actually paid him to leave, knowing that my mom was not in any condition to, to be a mother and that they never wanted to be married. Uh, so he basically took off. My mother was not able to take care of me. Her drinking was becoming severe. Uh, she actually got into a car accident and sent me through the front windshield. And it was at that point, I actually became a ward of the state and I lived in a foster home for several years. I'm still actually in touch with my foster family. Uh, they're wonderful people. I love them dearly. Coming up into uh, about when I was a, a young teenager, my mom did kind of get her act together for a few years. And I did go back to live with her. She actually was able to re regain custody which was definitely nice because I really wanted to have a mom. And so I was very happy at this point, but alas, it did not last. Uh, she unfortunately returned to her drinking and returned custody of me to my grandmother under the guise of her going into the military. And from there, uh, it was basically my living with her and my grandfather. My grandfather's health did not improve. 
while this was all going on, I was starting to become aware of myself. I kind of always knew that I was a gay guy, but it took me a, a lot longer to kind of come to terms with that than I kind of would have liked. As a child, um, I used to have a severe problem with lying, mainly due to the fact that I was never comfortable in my own skin. And I'm someone who, I like it when people like me. So I wanted to everyone hear just the good stuff. I never wanted to hear any, anyone to hear anything bad, which of course, life has bad things. It's just the way of the world. So I you know, was never really a, a troublesome child, but I did get in trouble because I often would never tell the truth over just silly, stupid little stuff, which of course caused a lot of trust issues that a lot of adults had with me. After my grandfather died, my uncle actually came back to live with us. And he was someone who never lifted a finger in his entire life. I like to refer to him as almost a pimple on the butt of humanity. That was the type of guy he was. Always tried to act like he was your buddy, but he just never really was. And... I just kind of went into this phase where I, I like to describe it as my life being on pause from pretty much about the age of 10 to 20. It's almost like I didn't almost really exist. And as they talk about things of your chronological age and your mental age, I also add in social age. So pretty much almost all the way through high school, I was almost behaving as someone who was still in elementary school. Although I had a excellent vocabulary, sort of my aspects of right and wrong were still kind of in someone who was maybe six years old. A good example of this was freshman year. Uh, there was a student in the class who decided to glue one of the desks to the floor. And I, for whatever reason, decided that I had to tell the teacher about this. Well, the student in question saw me doing this and honestly threatened me. But all through high school, there I had a, one teacher who was actually kind of a friend of the family who often would mention, I can't believe you did that. Not so much because of the student being a bully, but more so the fact that, you know, usually at that age of development, usually you're more likely as a student to, you know, either roll your eyes, shake your head, but you would never actually tattle. But that's kind of where I was in my social development at that time. And where that's kind of ended up playing out for me was a lot of the social benchmarks that most folks have in their high school years, I almost didn't end up having until I was almost 30. So things like dating, having relationships, going to parties. I didn't have my first alcoholic drink until I was 27. Um, I didn't try smoking or weed until I was almost 29. So a lot of those milestones that most folks usually have in their teenagers, I was delayed almost about a decade. And where that has kind of ended up affecting me was that, you know, okay, I finally started to come out of my shell. I you know, was starting to, to be the real me as finally starting to catch up. But most of my peers and my friends, they were now at that stage where they're starting to have kids, have families. They, uh, you know, they were kind of going away from that phase. 
So I kind of feel as though I kind of missed quite a bit of that stuff. But in respect, when I look back at sort of my family dynamics, whether drug and drinking abuse, I think I was kind of fortunate because if I had done it at the traditional time that most people usually do in their lives, I probably would have ended up in sort of a a worse situation. So in a very weird roundabout way, it's something I'm actually fortunate of, you know, like most folks, I do have regrets from when I was, you know, younger, we all do, we kind of have those opportunities that we think about that, hey, I wish I had done this. So I have a little bit of that going on. But then, you know, when I think about the person I become, the things that I've done, I'm actually pretty proud of myself because I was very, very most likely to fall into the same pitfalls that my family did. And by having that basically 10-year social delay, I think it really helped me avoid doing that. Uh, So as I started to move on and, you know, eventually I did come out and told my family and friends, I hit another sort of blessing in the fact that everyone was essentially accepting. Um, I was actually underwhelmed, maybe even disappointed, if you will, uh, because I was for me, it was a huge milestone to be able to come out and say, yes, I'm gay. And to have everyone sort of just go, oh, well, great. Let's move on. You know, not the big deal I was kind of hoping and expecting for. So that was a little disappointing. But again, knowing how it could have gone, I do consider it to be a very fortunate thing. With all this going on, I will also mention that Uh, I was born with a foot disability. It's actually uh, hereditary on my father's side of the family. It's known as extensive club feet. What this means is that from the time I was six months old, I ended up having major surgeries almost every other year, actually. I have had 13 of them on each of my feet. So pretty much all through grade school, I went through this process of In uh, the summer, come springtime, I would usually go to camp or something for about two to three weeks. Then the second half of summer, I would have the surgery. Uh, I would spend all fall and winter in school, basically in casts, wheelchairs, crutches. I would spend the spring essentially relearning to walk again. And then I would repeat that cycle. Do do you think that affected your, that social development piece you were talking about? Very possibly, because of course, this means that, you know, I wasn't able to do any of the sports or athletic stuff that a lot of my peers at that time were doing. I grew up in a very, very small town. The median age of the town population at that time was about 72. So not only was it a small town, there there really weren't any people my own age at the same time. So that's kind of where with my social development being delayed, my maturity was kind of more advanced than it was. As I said, I have always had sort of a excellent vocabulary and communication skills. And I remember teachers in elementary school telling me, hey, you know, you're speaking like a 40-year-old. Where did you learn this? So I feel like, like from the first time I met you, I remember thinking, you come off as an old soul. Like, has anyone ever told you that before? Absolutely. And that comes from being in a raised town of, you know, older folks, because um, they were my what I had for a social group. Um, and that's 
basically where I picked up my behaviors and mannerisms. That makes sense. So what you mentioned before that you had to come to terms with your sexuality, what was it that you had to grapple with? Because it sounds like once, once you came out, like you said, everyone was accepting. So what was it that you were struggling with? Well, for for basically, and it's something I'm still actually working on, is basically having a, a stable relationship. Like most folks, I, I am kind of looking for that Mr. Right, essentially, because now I'm at a point in my life where I do want to do the settling down, have a family, basically move on to that stage of my life. One of the biggest obstacles there is that within the gay community, with gay marriage only being legal of a few years ago, that's still kind of a radical concept within the community. For the, you know, a lot of us are still kind of operating in the traditional, you know, 60s, 70s, where it's basically you meet someone, you do something for a night, and then you go your separate ways and you can repeat that. Uh, the idea of having a monogamous, um, safe relationship is still kind of radical for a lot of the LGBT community. Now, you've also always come off as like an even-keeled, easygoing, well-adjusted, well-spoken type of person. I'm just wondering, with what you've described to me, mm-hmm. how did you arrive at that point? Were there times where you weren't as even-keeled, or has this always kind of been your base personality? As far back as I can remember, this has kind of always been my base personality and where I believe it comes from is someone who is, you know, into science and technology. Late that story going far back as I do is because for me to function and sort of be stable is I can accept whatever's going on around me as long as I understand why it's going on around me. So being able to go back to, you know, starting with my grandmother and her arranged marriage and them being unhappy and having that transfer to their kids, my mom and uncle, knowing how it happened allows me to accept it. I think that if I did not know the causation, I think I would not be as well-adjusted as I am. How has that rational, logical, sort of reasonable way of looking at the world helped you in other ways? Well, basically, when it comes to almost any stressful situation, whether it's a car breaking down or being let go from a job, it allows me to kind of reflect and say, okay, was this because of something I did? How can I improve it? Is this a metaphorical part that needs to be fixed or replaced? And then it allows me to, it gives me something constructive to work on or process the situation and it makes sense of it. Uh, It's very similar if you've ever seen the show Big Bang Theory. I, I kind of really relate to the character of Sheldon Cooper who also takes that very sort of sterilized, logical only kind of dump the emotion out of it approach to how he goes with life. But unlike him, I, you know, you'll often hear me tell folks I am human, contrary to what it may seem. I definitely (laughs) have those moments where I am just screaming my head off. 
I do get mad. I do break down and cry. I, I do experience the emotions. And that's really important when you're dealing with difficult situations. It's important to logically process the situation, but make sure that you don't take the emotion piece of it out of it, because that can be certainly detrimental. You know, there have certainly been cases where folks have done that and it ends up eating them from the inside out and in many cases possibly even destroys them. So while it is important to be logical, it is also important to be emotional in a healthy way. Very well said. I can't help but wondering, there's going to be people that listen to this story and they're going to think he's the exception to the rule, given the adversity that you face, the challenges that you've overcome. What would you say to that? As much as I would love to say that I'm not the exception to the rule, as I kind of look at my life, there have been many times where I, I wonder, why am I not sort of struggling the way maybe I think I should be? And I am someone who respectfully is not of a religious background. Obviously, you know, being in technology and logical thinking, but I would say, you know, again, I, I still feel the emotions. I still feel the anger and sadness. But I think the fact that I somehow I've, I managed to deal with it. And honestly, I, I've had to deal with it at a very, very young age and continuously all through my life. How I was fortunate to do this. I, I, you know, I, I can only say maybe a miracle. Maybe I am the exception. As egotistical as I may sound, there are basically days where I simply go, that is the only logical explanation for it. I, and, you know, in all fairness, I do think I had a lot of folks in my life who did really care about me. I'm very fortunate in that regard. You know, I had many friends who, you know, kind of watched after me, kind of watched my back. Case in point, when I came when I came out, you know, there wasn't that dramatic moment. They were just like, okay. And as disappointed as I was with the lack of reaction, that was sort of a, a gift. I think you brought up a really good point too in normalizing. Like this, this is your normal. This is your reality. And you've lived with it for your the entirety of your life, which I can imagine lends a different perspective to it. But also I love that you mentioned, you know, we. We are uh, not a, a species that, that exists alone on an island somewhere. You had support. You had the capacity to build resilience over time. So how do you manage your mental health now? Well, essentially, it's through kind of hard work. Since I've joined uh, CPR, I'm always constantly trying to find new projects, new things to work on. And basically, I kind of want to keep growing myself. I kind of look, you know, they often say you should never look back. And I kind of personally disagree with that because I think kind of taking a look back and seeing where you've come from, it kind of inspires you and go, okay, I made it up 500 steps so far. I can probably make it up another thousand. I don't see there anything being wrong with looking back and recognizing your achievements, where if you're only looking forward constantly, you don't recognize, you know, you may feel like you haven't done anything until you do take that glance over your shoulder and see, hey, I, I, I've, I've made progress. Let me keep going. That's awesome. I love it. 
Okay. I think that is a really good place. That's a really inspiring place to end this interview. And I'm sure you are given your position with CPR in high demand right now. (laughs) (laughs) So we won't keep you much longer, but Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. This was really great. You're most welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. Got questions or ideas for the podcast? Or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcast. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc. The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamontine, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support. 